Let's read together from the scriptures. I'm thinking I admitted the scriptures, but I didn't. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to just read from verse 11 through to verse 14. Matthew chapter 22, verse 11. Let's hear the word of God. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. We'll end this short reading there at verse 14, and we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures at this time. Now my text tonight is taken from Matthew chapter 22 verse 12 and it says And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless And we're going to think tonight of the subject, the man with the missing wedding garment The Lord Jesus Christ frequently during his earthly life used parables to illustrate a spiritual truth. A parable is an earthly story, one that people are familiar with, and of course that earthly story has a heavenly meaning. And on this occasion, the Lord Jesus tells a story, and he likens that story to the kingdom of heaven. And this story, as I told you last week, deals with the marriage feast for a king's son. And we dealt with it in full last Lord's Day evening. I trust you remember the outline. You may have written in the corner of your Bible the particular invitation of the king, how privileged these people were. This invitation was provided. It was personal. And then we thought of the perversion of the invitation of the king. We noted that it was willful rejection, wanton, wicked, and a wayward refusal. We thought thirdly of the provocation of this invitation of the king, and then closed with the pleasure of the invitation of the king. The king had said to his servants, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Now when one thinks of the event, not only of a wedding, and we're familiar with that, but think of the event of a royal wedding. You've got to think of pomp and ceremony. You've got to think of style and, and glamour. However, this royal wedding had a very unique factor to it. And the factor was this. Everyone was invited to come to the wedding. Look at verse 9. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Now that doesn't happen in weddings today. And it certainly doesn't happen in royal weddings because royal weddings, of course, remember, are very exclusive occasions. The guest list is very selective. Only the rich, the famous, the powerful, the most influential are invited to the wedding. 
However, in this royal wedding, in this story, the Lord Jesus emphasizes verse 9. The king's invitation sadly has been rejected. And now his servants are bidden to go into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Another unusual factor about this royal wedding, and this is true, of course, in the eastern countries, it was customary in a royal wedding for the monarch to provide a beautiful, costly garment free for each guest. This garment would have been suitable for the occasion, and this garment, of course, that was provided free, was given to be worn. The giving of the garment was linked to the king's thoughtfulness his generosity, his sincerity. The giving of the garment is linked in many occasions in Bible history. As I've said, it was a symbol of thoughtfulness and generosity. Remember Joseph, he received from his father a special coat. Remember he was the favorite son. And this coat was a a special, significant, costly robe that brought him into the realm of the overseer above his brethren. Remember Jonathan, the king's son, gave his personal garment to David as a special mark of their friendship. And as I've said, it was a common place at royal weddings for guests in eastern countries to be presented on the command of the king a garment. And that garment was to be worn. And they were to be presented to the wedding wearing that garment. And as I said, it proclaimed the king's generosity, his thoughtfulness, his his, um, uh, spirit of serenity uh, towards each individual as an invited guest. And if you wore the garment, you were respecting and honoring the king. Now, not to wear the wedding garment was looked upon as a great insult to the king. In fact, if you were to appear on such occasion after it had been provided and purchased and offered to you and you were made known that you were expected to wear it and that it was such a costly gift and it was honoring the king and it was in thankfulness for his thoughtfulness and generosity not to do it would be seen as an act of defiance, an act of rebellion. So to come to the wedding and not wear the garment provided offers us an insight into the words of my text. Think of these words. Now he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. These words were spoken by the king. To a disobedient, rebellious, defiant guest. And you've got to think of the devastating effect that it had upon him. He was speechless. In other words, he was shocked to the core. He was totally and utterly embarrassed, thoroughly ashamed. The man stood before the king and he was silent. He could not reply. Now there can be no doubt as to the meaning here. The king represents the true and living God himself. The king's son represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thought about that last week in his uh, person and work, in all the fullness of his being. 
The, the king's servants here represent every preacher and, and every prophet and every evangelist who, who goes out in the king's name and in the king's representative summons men to come to the wedding feast for all things are now ready. And the king's guests represent um, all who have been called through that ministry and all who have been chosen. But you've got a little insight here into the king's wrath. Because the king's wrath towards those that were called but refused and the king's wrath toward this man without the wedding garment stands as a warning. And it's a warning to all who are listening to me tonight not to meet God this way the man met the king. Because if you do so, that on that day you too will stand speechless you too will have nothing to say and you too will be bound and cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What the king said was addressed to the man with the missing wedding garment. And I believe that these words are a warning to all who profess to be the Lord's. And you see, many profess to follow Christ and they're religious, and they attend the church services. They may even read their Bible, and they may even offer prayer, and they believe in morality and good ethics. And they have some form of connection and adherence to what we call Christendom. But yet the reality is that in and of themselves, despite their religiosity and their morality and their, their lifestyle, they're not actually prepared. To meet the Lord. They're not prepared to be presented to him. Because there's the missing wedding garment. And that's what I want to think about tonight. Four things. Think about the significance of the man. Without the wedding garment. Think of verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests. He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him. Friend how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment. And he was speechless. Notice the reference twice to the wedding garment. So we're going to ask this. Well, what is so important about the wedding garment? Now let me tell you something. This was not a new thing to the hearers of Christ. It was not a strange idea that the Lord Jesus introduced in his teaching. They were familiar with this picture. The monarch purchasing and presenting a wedding garment for those that would come to the, the wedding. This picture was well known in Eastern circles. We can apply it, of course, in the spiritual realm. You, you've got to think of the presenting of a garment. Remember Adam and Eve and their fall into sin in the beginning of time. And we read there in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Remember they had covered themselves with uh, fig leaves and what God had actually said to them in Genesis 3, verse 21. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. It's not interesting. You think of Joseph, as I've already said, being presented by his father with a coat of many colors. It was a special coat. It signified status and dignity. It was the garment of the overseer. 
Turn over there in your Bible if you can find Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets. It's after Habakkuk, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Listen to Zephaniah chapter 1. And it says this in verse 7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. Now, is it not interesting? The day of the Lord is connected to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're told that the Lord had prepared a sacrifice, that the Lord had bidden his guests, that the Lord would come to inspect those guests and discover some of the king's children, some of the princes, and many others dressed in strange apparel. And I put it to you tonight that Zephaniah 1, 7 and 8 has to be connected to Matthew chapter 22, the marriage of the king's son. That There's a direct parallel. There were certain Jews in the days of Zephaniah who didn't want to uh, uh, adhere to the, the national dress code. They didn't want to be identified as, as Jewish children. The Jews knew about this custom. They were familiar with the presentation of garments. The Lord presenting garments to Adam and Eve. Joseph presenting a, a, a garment by his father. And, and, and these children wearing strange par, uh, apparel and, and, and being found out in, in the day that the Lord comes. We even think about Joseph whenever he disclosed himself to his brothers. Remember, we read in Genesis chapter 45 and at verse 22 that he provided them with changes of raiment. This is what we read in verse 22. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. That, that, that has to do with the presentation of garments. We can even think about Gehazi. Over there in the um, book of 2 Kings, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, remember Gehazi. Uh, Gehazi was uh, Elisha's uh, servant. And you've got to think about the healing of Naaman and how Gehazi, who was a wicked, selfish servant, ran after uh, Naaman and the party that were with him. And this is what he said, um, 2 Kings 5.22. And he said, all is well. My master hath sent me, saying which was a lie. Behold, even now there become to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray, the talent of silver and two changes of garments. You see, those clothes, they, they bore a special status. The, the change of garments was connected to honor and to dignity. And as I've said, this was the practice of high society in Eastern times, especially a royal wedding. The king and his family, they would provide, they would purchase a wedding garment for each guest. And that wedding garment was to be put on. Now you think of the presentation of the wedding garment. Link it up to this. Turn over there to um, Romans 13 and verse 14. And we read this. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. 
But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ and his person and work is like a special royal garment. And just as you would put on the special royal item of clothing purchased and provided by the king to present yourself at the wedding as one of the king's guests, so we are to put on Jesus Christ. And for those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not only receiving the fullness of Christ, but you're putting on Christ as you put on a garment. Remember what we read in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah Uh, um, 61 and verse 10 Uh, Listen to these words They're connected to the uh, Worship that we've just had In relation to that beautiful song Of Count um, Zunzendorf He says I will greatly rejoice in the Lord My soul shall be joyful in my God Why? For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness As a bridegroom Decketh himself with ornaments And as a bride adorneth herself With jewels Once you receive Jesus Christ You also receive the righteousness of Christ Christ's righteousness is imputed to us In the act of justification Christ's righteousness is implanted within us In the moment of the new birth When we're born again of the Holy Spirit And, of course, Christ's righteousness is being imparted to us in the lifelong process of sanctification and holiness unto the Lord. And this is a garment, this robe of righteousness, is a garment spiritually uh, to to cover our sin. It it covers our wicked self-righteousness. A garment to cover us in the presence of God the King. A garment in which we are accepted. In light of the presence of the King's Son and his wedding. You think of being invited to a wedding. What's the first thing you think about, ladies? I've got nothing to wear. But on this occasion, if you've been invited to this royal wedding... A garment was provided. A garment was purchased. This garment was presented to you with the obligation put upon you and the duty and responsibility to present yourself in it as a guest. You see, that garment has to be a picture of Christ. We sang in that beautiful hymn, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress, made flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy, shall I lift up my head. Listen to verse 3. This spotless robe, the same appears. When ruined nature sinks in years, no age can change its glorious hue. The robe of Christ is ever new. Have you put on Christ? Have you put on Christ like a robe tonight? He says in verse 5 of this hymn, Oh, let the dead now hear thy voice. Now bid thy banished ones rejoice. Their beauty this. Their glorious dress. What is it? Jesus, the Lord, our righteousness. You see, this garment is not just connected to the righteousness of Christ. It's connected to the reception of Christ in all his fullness. And that's the significance of the man without the wedding garment. I want you to think secondly, very quickly, the scrutiny of the man 
without the wedding garment. If you go back to our text, remember what it says there, Matthew 22, verse 14. Matthew 22, verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. You've got to think of a sovereign here who sees and scrutinizes the guests. The king came in to specs inspect the guest. He doesn't send a servant. He doesn't send the chief steward. No, he comes as the sovereign himself. He does the inspection. He wants to see those who are invited. He wants to see that they're complying to his requirement. So he comes in and he sees a man with no wedding garment on and he asks this very pointed personal question, friend. How camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? You see, it was his own eyes that did the survey. Does God not have an all-seeing eye? He's the one who looks in the heart. He reads the mind. He sees the real you. And he sees thousands who have a relationship to religion tonight, but doesn't have a relationship to the Redeemer because they haven't put on Christ as a garment. And he gazes on the man with the missing garment. He's thinking of those that have a relationship to morality, but not a relationship to the master. Those that have a relationship to the church. How often we hear that, but I've got my church, but not a relationship to Christ. And you can have a relationship to a thousand churches. But if you don't put on Christ, then when he comes to inspect, he sees that. And he knows, because he's all-knowing. He has a complaint against certain men. He sees there a man which not on a wedding garment, and he directs the question to him. Friend, how camest thou in hither? He speaks. So he not only knows... He not only sees, but he knows how. You see, he can't be fooled. You could fool the minister, you could fool the elders, you could fool the deacons, you could fool family and friends, but you can't fool God. Let me tell you this story. There was a man in Larne many, many years ago, about 25, maybe 27 years ago, and we'll just call him Willie. I called him Willie. And Willie professed to be a Christian. His sons, his daughters... Family friends all told me. Willie was a Christian. But Willie's wife was a godly wee woman. A woman of prayer. A woman who knew the book. A woman who loved Christ. And I remember her saying to me on the first occasion I was in the home, Mr. McLaughlin, Willie's not saved. But everybody else said he was. But she knew her husband. She's seen the lifestyle of her husband. And many times she'd spoke to him about repenting and getting right with the Lord. But he was happy pretending that he was a Christian. He was happy professing that if anybody asked him, are you a Christian? Well, he, oh, aye, aye. But he was not a possessor of Christ. And there's a difference. How many pretend? How many professors? But don't actually possess Christ. Not new creatures in Christ. Willie, during the time that I was there in Larne, was taken into hospital, a bit of a heart problem. Willie got scared. Willie thought of that text of scripture that had been read to him many times, prepare to meet thy God. 
And he thought about meeting God. And he tried to sleep and he heard the words, depart from me. I never knew you. You have no lot nor part with me. And Willie in that hospital bed with that heart problem, repented of his sin, received Christ and got gloriously saved. And the first person he told was his wife. And his wife said, Willie, I knew for years you only had a profession, but you didn't possess Christ. Now I know you possess Christ. But Willie came home, he started reading his Bible. Willie went to the prayer meeting as best he could. Willie started talking to others about the Lord. He had a love for the Lord now, and the Lord's day, and the Lord's word, and, and, and the Lord's uh, uh, people. See, here's a parallel. The Lord will inspect all. The whole of professing Christendom. And this book says the Lord knows them that are his. But it also says let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And that's the acid test. If you're in Christ and a new creature, you'll have a love for righteousness. But you'll have a loathe for sin. And a loathing for iniquity and rebellion. And how many profess to be saved? Profession is not possession. And it's easy to say I've prayed a prayer. I bowed my head, I've asked Christ to be my saviour But not put on Christ See how many tell us I don't need to put on Christ I've got my religion I've got my set of morals I live by this I've got my church But it's not the redeemer, it's not the master It's not Christ And Here's a man who's not wearing this wedding garment He's doing it in an act of disobedience and an act of defiance. And you've got to think of the scrutiny of the man without the wedding garment. Think, thirdly, the speechlessness of the man without the wedding garment. What do we read there in verse 12? And he was speechless. Why? Do you want me to tell you why? Listen to me carefully. He never prepared himself to meet the king. He was invited to the marriage feast of the king's son. He was presented with the garment that was purchased and provided. But he never put it on. He never prepared himself to meet the king. Amos 4 and 12 says, prepare to meet thy God. And I'm saying tonight, do not meet God the way this man met the king. He tells us in verse 14, for many are called. We live in a day, of course, when we rejoice that the true and only gospel has been proclaimed throughout the whole world. A gospel of free and sovereign grace. A gospel that's based in the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ once for all, freely offered at Calvary. At the Lord's bidding, his preachers have gone into the whole world. They've gone forth in his name and, and they have said, repent and believe the gospel. Remember what he says there in the Gospel of Mark and Mark chapter 16 in the verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We could link it up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Uh, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And though I'm with you always even unto the end of the age. You think of preachers going out in his name with this great message, this summons, repent and believe the gospel. 
This wonderful invitation, come for all things are now ready. Come to Christ. Put on Christ like a garment. Come to the wedding of the king's son. Join the wedding feast. We read there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10 and in the verse 11, these words, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Isn't that word whosoever wonderful, all embracing, all comprehensive? It includes you tonight. What did Jesus say? For many are called, but few are chosen. What does it mean to be chosen? It means to be among those who are and will be accepted before God. And those who are and will be accepted before God, just as in the presence of the king, must have won the wedding garment. And only those who have put on Jesus Christ They're the chosen ones. They're the ones prepared to meet the king. Remember what the Bible tells us there in the book of Revelation. Revelation 19. It tells us something interesting about the lamb's wife. It says there in Revelation 19 and in the verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come. Listen to these words. And his wife have made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. His wife had made herself ready. How did she do that? She put on the wedding garment. And without the wedding garment, she wouldn't be accepted in the wedding ceremony. This garment, as I'm telling you, was provided by the Lord. It's provided free. It's offered freely. But this garment must be put on. And we've got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a garment. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For he that is God hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And how do you prepare? You come as a sinner. You come in repentance. You receive Christ as Lord and Redeemer. You you receive the remission of your sins. You're born again of the Spirit. You're clothed in that perfect righteousness of Christ. That righteousness implanted within you. You now have the seed of God within you. And you have a yearn and a desire for holiness. The man was speechless because he wasn't prepared. He was speechless because his true condition was disclosed. The moment the king came in, he asked the question, How did you get in here in that condition? In other words, how did you come to the wedding in complete defiance of me, in disobedience, in a state of rebellion? You're dressed in strange clothes, strange apparel. You've spurned me. You're not properly dressed. You don't have on the wedding garment. That was the thing the king saw. That was what the king talked about. And the man is shocked and speechless and all excuses have left him. And his mouth is closed. He has absolutely nothing to say. And what do we read there in the book of Romans? We read in Romans chapter 3 verse 19. These words. Now we know that whatsoever things, soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You think of man's state and his wickedness and sinfulness before God. How many tonight don't actually believe in the total depravity of man? Not as black and bad as the preacher makes out. But I'm not a drunkard. I'm not a wife beater. I'm not a murderer. I'm, I'm not a homosexual. But let me remind you, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Let me remind you tonight that you have a sinful nature. You're born with a bias to sin. You're born with the guilt of sin, apart from the common grace of God. And that root of sin is in all of us. And given a set of circumstances, given the right opportunity to develop, we're as deep and dark as those who perpetrate such vile deeds as murder and homosexuality and all the rest. And you know, one day we'll stand before God, the Bible says, and every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And in that day, because this man was asked a question, friend, how comest thou in hither? And he was speechless. None to say. And you will have nothing to say. You will have no excuse in that day. Here's why he was speechless. Not prepared. But his true condition was disclosed. Let's close. Let's think of the sentence of the man with the missing wedding garment. What did the king say? Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called. But fear chosen. The man was cast into outer darkness. The man was eternally condemned. Bound hand and foot. Going into the place of the dead. But never dying. Lost forever without hope. Where there's weeping and wailing of gnashing of teeth. Bound hand and foot for a lost eternity. Banished from the very presence of the Lord. That's the fate of all who die without Christ. Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. He said it three times. Let me tell you this story. I've told you years ago, but I'll repeat it. There's a lady called Annie Cross. And she lived here in Northern Ireland. And she had a husband who wasn't saved, but she loved the Lord. And she went to the meetings faithfully. And she sought to preach the gospel to her husband, but he would have none of it. I don't want none of your hellfire preaching. Run away to your meeting. Run away to your prayer meeting, your Bible study. I'll sit here. And he did that for many months, and he did it for many years. And this night she went out and she said, I'm away to the meeting. Run on. And he sat at the fire, put another log in the fire, and he gave it a bit of a poke, and he, he thought of those flames leaping up. And those flames in the fire in the hearth spoke to him. And he began to think, You've got a good wife. She's a godly woman. She's away to the prayer meeting to pray for your salvation tonight. And you're sitting there looking into the fire. And one day you'll be in hell fire. And then fear came upon him. And he started to tremble. And he started to think. And he got up and he put his coat on. And he went out of the house and down the path and round the corner and up round the road. The little meeting hall was about a quarter of a mile away. And he opened the door and he slipped in. He sat beside his wife. There was an empty seat. And after the person had prayed, he got up and he prayed and asked the Lord to be his Lord and Savior. You think of the joy in that wee meeting house. A wonderful answer to prayer. It spread through the country. Said, Annie Cross's husband has come to Christ. Because he thought of the reality of the fire. I say this in closing. Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body. And many could kill the body tonight and are doing so. For there's many martyred in Jesus' name throughout the world. Especially in Asian countries. But fear not them that can kill the body. 
but rather fear him that hath power to throw both body and soul into hell. The lake of fire is real, and there's only one way of escape, and that is by putting on Jesus Christ like a garment. The sentence of the man without the wedding garment. And I say to you, as I said before in the introduction, do not meet God the way this man met the king. I want you to understand the significance of putting on Christ. There's a day of scrutiny and review that's coming in the day of the Lord. And I want you to understand you'll be speechless if you don't have the wedding garment. But worse than that, you'll be sentenced. Depart from me. I, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity, and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Ask yourself tonight, have I put on Christ as a garment?